0: amen. We're going to be in the book of Acts tonight, so hopefully you got a Bible, and if you do make your way to the book of Acts, we are going to be in chapter 2. So Wednesday nights, we're trying to work through uh, the scriptures, usually about a chapter at a time. We've gone a little bit slower in this chapter because it's so foundational, uh, and there's so much there. And so tonight we're picking it up right in the middle. We're not even going to finish the chapter. We'll come back and finish it uh, next week. But longing that in the midst of it, God would just be able to speak what He is wanting to speak into our lives. So hoping again you have a Bible so you'll see it, hear it. Bible's in front of you, and the chair's in front of you. If you need to pay that there, you can use an electronic device. But again, the Word of God is that which is not going to return to God void. So pay attention to it. Let God speak to you through it. Let God work in it in ways that what He would say tonight would go above and beyond anything else we say. So again, just calling you to that attention. If you're here in the sanctuary, but online or overflow, same invitation. Let's hear what God would say to us. So, before we dive into it, let's ask him for that. I'll lead you in prayer but just inviting you to ask him that he would make known to you that which he's wanting you to hear out of this. Father, here we are. I think about just being able to come before you as your kids. You told us just to behold how, how, what an amazing thing that we get to be called the children of God. To be able to come and see you as our father you are. God, your tender care, your love for us, it is real, and it's personal. You know every one of your kids. You know us by name. You know everything about us. You know where we are. You know what we need. God, I believe you. I believe that you are able to open up your word to us in a way that not only brings understanding, not only opens up our, our minds to things, but at the same moment, you would speak very clearly, very clearly in the midst of this. God, we're asking for your help in that. We're asking that you would be the one that would give us just that, that understanding of what you're speaking to us. Lord, that ability that nothing would be taken from us, nothing robbed, but Lord, hearing you this evening, we ask for that right now, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Acts chapter 2, in many ways, we are in Acts 2, and it's like ground zero for the church. It's like the beginning. It's this space where everything that we could kind of gaze on and say, okay, that's, that's what it is to be the church. That's where it began. Uh, this is it. This is where it happens in Acts 2 and, and, and begins a flow through history that is impacting you and I today in profound and in very, very real ways. And part of that is one of the things that makes this chapter so fundamental uh, to understand, so important to grasp. Bunches and bunches of things there, but four things that we've pointed out to you over the last couple weeks is that the first couple sections of this, running in that first section, verses 1 to 4 and then 5 to 13, really highlight this incredible work that is the work of God, that is the work of the Holy Spirit, Him being poured out, uh, on the church, baptizing the church, drawing us in to be the body of Christ, filling, empowering, working. I mean, incredible things that began on this day. And so we've, we've looked at that. We saw that its impact that it begins, an immediate impact that, again, begins working through history in ways that we can understand. And we, and we even spent some extra time last week just talking about how that's even a highlight of revival and how we're longing that God would do that. But again, it begins there. And that's good. I mean, that's just a really good space for us to begin that we're looking at the Holy Spirit. We're looking at Him uh, working in the midst of the church and how desperately we are in need of that. Right after that, this pouring out of the Spirit, Peter steps into that situation and preaches the very first sermon within kind of that realm of the church and that sense of uh, of seeking to answer those questions. And then following that sermon, we have one of the first of seven progress reports uh, that take place in the book of Acts, and there's just incredible weights there. But for tonight, we want to focus just in on Peter's sermon. We want to focus in on uh, this kind of first sermon that he begins to preach that uh, steps into this moment and sees these things. we kind of want to approach it two ways, so we definitely want to just hear the sermon so we 're going to kind of just work our way through it and go okay so here we 're just going to follow uh, the logic we 're going to try to follow the the sermon so we can understand what 's being said and just believing that just all by itself, just the message that began here would work into us, and so I want us just to hear that, uh, as if we're just hearing the message that God records for us here. But at the same moment, I'm going to talk a little bit about that place of preaching and sermons and, and, and why this would even show up in chapter two and, and where that should land for us. So let's actually begin there. So you got your Bibles open, you see it there, you kind of notice with me um, that, it, you know, just the response after this pouring out of the Spirit, the crowds are there, verse 12, says they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, and then he begins to preach this first message. So when we think about the weight of this and the space of this, again, I want to just give you a few things that... I think are going to be helpful. I, I, I honestly think there's, there's part of the point of it being here that would surround us in this. There's much, much more. Again, we're trying to do an overview of it, but there's a few things that are worth just your understanding of even its placing here, and I'll just begin with it this way, is to kind of hold before you and I just that primacy of preaching or that place of that priority that God seeks to communicate His Word through what we think about just preaching and and the proclamation that happens in the midst of that. In fact, I like the way it gives it to us in the book of Titus when God says, you know, but God has in due time manifested His Word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So God has chosen God has chosen to, to, to manifest, to cause that to happen, that, that through the proclamation of His Word, through the teaching and preaching of His Word, that that would be known. And so there is a space of just understanding how central that is, how important that is, even just here in this foundational kind of ground zero moment of Acts chapter 2, that there's a priority of this. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to say that right now, and again, I want to tell you, I, think, I believe it's true. And for some of you, you're going to be like, well, yeah, of course, But others are like, well, why are we even saying this? I mean, who would go any other way? Well, people go that way all the time. So, you know, there are sometimes people look at what you and I are doing right now, which is the teaching and preaching of God's word, uh, that they would say, well, you know, that's not really the best form of communication. It would be so much better if we just had a conversation. You know, maybe if we just had conversations, like we just kind of put chairs up here and just people had a conversation and we just heard. Others would say, no, no, it would be so much better if it was just drama, like, maybe we just, you know, kind of use drama. Like, you know, that, that can communicate so on so many levels that uh, cannot be found uh, in, in, in preaching. And so we have a whole bunch of people that go that way. Others go different ways. You know, we're going to hold out that, again, we believe that there's a priority of it. And, again, if this is your church, if this is where you come, like, you know this. This is what we do on Sundays. And this is what we do on Wednesdays. We teach the Bible. Like, we, we give a good section of our time to that. We kind of put it by just our, our statement of its priority. Hey, that's what we're here for. And again, you might be thinking, well, Jim, of course that's what you do at church, right? Well, again, depending on your background, you come differently. If you came from like a Catholic background... Uh, for some of you would say, no, church is about the sacraments. I mean, church is about going through, you know, the preaching is kind of like here or there, but you got to do all these other things. Those have become like the, the central thing. And, and, and we'd say, no, no, that's not it. That, that's not where life, that's not where Jesus is communicating his message. Or if you've come from a very Pentecostal background, you know, they would say, hey, it's, it's not about the message, it's about the experience." You know, you're coming just to feel and, and have come some kind of zap, and, and if that happens, you know, church has really been successful, and we're just saying, no, you know, you're getting to see ground zero. You're getting to see the original kind of model, and, it, and there's this priority of, 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 of God's Word being taught, of God's Word being proclaimed, and so there's just a good space for us to say, hey, that ought to be there. That ought to be an understanding that that is something we need, and again, if this is your church, well, like, you probably understand that, or if you didn't, hope you do now, and if God ever takes you other spaces, I just want to make sure that you understand, that's what you're looking for. It's like, hey, I need, I need, I need the Word of God. I need the, the preaching the proclamation of the Word of God, because that's how God is manifesting His Word. That's, that's, what, that's that, that central place of, of kind of what a church is supposed to be about, that we ought to be doing that. Okay. So that's just the first, we'll talk about five things that's kind of in the midst of preaching that are worth you kind of noting, but now let's come back to the message. So Peter stands up, he begins to, to kind of step in this moment, and he just seeks to answer the questions that they're asking. If you were with us a couple of weeks ago, it would be better understood probably by you, but man, the Holy Spirit's poured out. Uh, it, it's been this profound, incredible moment. Uh, believers have spoken in tongues, and, and those who are filled with the Spirit, some of them have understood it. Like they, they heard it in their own languages. And so there's this huge dynamic that's happening. And that's true of the believers. But for those who are not yet followers of Jesus, they hear this whole moment and that's not what they're thinking. They're not amazed by it. It tells us there in verse 13, they mock and they said, these people are just full of new wine like they're drunk. I mean, this, this, this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't, this doesn't, you know, land, like we don't understand what, what's going on. So to these who don't understand, Peter steps into this moment and he tells them this there in verse 14. He raises his voice and says, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Third hour of the day, that starts at nine, six in the morning, so it's nine o'clock in the morning. He's like, they're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. Like, that, you know, like nope, that's, just, that, that's not what's happening here. This isn't kind of, you know, a place where something is has been this. And he says, you guys, that's not what this is, and I like that. There's just this space that he's stepping in to try to answer the questions that they're asking, like, what in the world is happening? You know, where is this? And he then begins to unpack it by preaching from a passage of the scripture. So again, he says there in verse 16, he says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he's going to go through and quote that passage in a moment that's taken from the book of Joel uh, chapter 2 verses 28 through 32. So this is a pretty good, cool moment. So he's going to say, I want to tell you that this is biblical, and I want to tell you what that's happening, and that's what we want to talk about, but let's pause, kind of freeze frame, and quickly just go back to preaching, and we just want to say, kind of as an added nugget to this, as we're trying to understand this biblical beginning of a church, preaching's essential, but it's meant to be biblical preaching. Like you're preaching passages of the scripture, he's going to go through three of them. He's going to preach three different passages, bringing three different weights, you know, from different spaces. But it's important to understand that that's what it's supposed to be. And you, again, you might be thinking, "Well, Jim, what else is there?" Well, there's a lot of other things. I think about it this way: when Paul would write to Timothy, and he says, "Preach the word. Like, make sure you preach the Bible. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching." that he's kind of speaking to this one who's, you know, stepping in to do what I do right now. He says, hey, you preach the Word, whether people like it or not. You know, if, if it's, if it's well-received, if it's not well-received, that doesn't matter. You preach the Word, in season, out of season. You, you do everything you can to unpack that for them because, he says, the time's going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't want Bible teaching uh, according to their own desires, they're, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will be turned aside to fables. They'll just want to hear stories. Just give me stories. Just tell me nice little warm fuzzies. I, just, I, I don't want the Bible taught to me. You know, just tell me things. Maybe let's just have an experience here. Let's have a, and he says, don't do that. It's meant to be biblical. So again, we look at this and say, hey, that's what we should be expecting. That is where the ground zero of the church, we're expecting preaching uh, to be kind of a central thing, but it's biblical preaching. We're not just having somebody get up and give their thoughts. We're not having kind of a, a worldly talk about things. We're saying, okay, what does the Bible have to say about this? And that's where Peter goes, which is a great space for us to understand. And so holding that, let's go back and read the passage that Peter then quotes. So he's there and the, begins to quote out of the prophet Joel. It says in verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow. So it's a pretty cool thing. Peter says, I want you to understand something. You're wondering what's happening. This is that. Like, this is what we're, we're going to look at here and say, the Bible is the one that's going to give us the authority on this. And he just begins to unpack that what's happening on this day, on this kind of Pentecost day, the day that the Spirit's being poured out. He says, hey, God told us this was going to happen. God already told us what this is, and so what's happening now is fulfilling that. It's stepping into that, you know, that it would come to pass. This is what Joel talked about. This is what the Bible talked about. Lots and lots of cool stuff in there, but just for us to be kind of in a quick overview of it this evening, I just point out a few quick things about it. One of the things he said is, what's going to be singularly different about that day, which is started at Pentecost, which is present today, is that this work of the Spirit is not going to happen on a select few people. It's going to happen through all of God's people. That the Holy Spirit is going to come upon all of God's people. It, that he's, going to pour, he's not going to be just a, a select prophet here or there. One of the singularly defining moments of what it is to be a part of the age in which you live is this. Now, we've talked about that a couple of weeks ago, so I won't uh, spend a, a lot of time on it, but I just want you to note the words because I like them. He says, I'm going to pour up my Spirit on all of them, all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So again, and he adds to it on my men servants and on my maid servants. So just understand the parameters that he put here. I mean, it's like I'm gonna pour them out. On them. I mean, like if they're really really young, yeah, yeah Like they're, if they're really really young, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on them. If they're really really old, like none of us are that, but you know. So that's. But hey, the, on the old ones, they're still going to be a part of the of the deal as well. Men, women, yes the Spirit of God is going to be pouring out so that now we get to be a part of the proclamation of the gospel into the world, that the Holy Spirit is working in us, and it's hugely just amazing. Again, and we talked about it a couple weeks ago, so I just say it briefly. Part of your problem is you can't imagine anything else. If you've been a follower of Jesus, that's all you have ever known. They didn't. They didn't what we get to be a part of. We're like, of course, that's really cool. The Holy Spirit's working in us, and He guides us, and He works through us. It's like, no, they didn't. This is brand new, and it's powerful. It's powerful that the Spirit of God is pouring out on men, women, young, old. He says, and they're going to be those who prophesy in verse 18. They're going to be those who speak for me, kind of the Acts 1-8 that Jesus said, hey, the Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be speaking my truth into the world, which is true for all of us. Then he sets a parameter there in verse 19 and 20 that is really the culmination of this. So what starts at Pentecost has an end. It has an end that he says, you know, I'm going to show these wonders in heaven above, signs in in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke and the sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. This is Matthew 24. This is the book of Revelation. Uh, these are kind of the same terms that are used in there. And what starts at Pentecost kind of completes at the rapture, completes at the space that God takes us out of the world. And so what we've known is this work of the church, that's where it's going. And so we kind of see it's beginning at Pentecost. He sets the the parameter of the end at the day of the Lord. But in the midst of that, kind of the parameter of Pentecost to the day of the Lord, he just says, the work of salvation is gonna be happening. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, who really turns to him, he's gonna save people from every tribe, tribe, tongue, and nation. The gospel is going to begin there in Jerusalem. It's going to go to the end of the world. And we're a part of that. And that's what we are. That's this age that we're doing. But again, the weight of it is he's telling them, hey, this is what's beginning today. This is what's happening now. Like the gospel is going to go forward. People are going to get saved. It's going to be this amazing, incredible work that is, again, the work of the church. So, wow. I mean, really, really good. Good weight, good wonder in, in, in the place of this. And so, again, just biblical, great truths that flow out of that. But then he adds to it. Notice in verse 22 Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him. Hey, pause there. He gets it to Jesus. So he kind of answers the question, gives him the Bible reference, and he says, but you need to hear me. We need to talk about Jesus. We need to talk about where this is going. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about what he does, but let me just quickly go back to my kind of five things that I'm going to tell you about what this passage is going to show us about preaching in the church and what it's supposed to be. It is primary. It is this place where it happens in the life of the church. It's biblical, but it is Christ-centered. It is Christ-exalting. That if it's preaching, if, it's, if it really is that, then that's what it's about, I like the way Paul would talk about it in 1 Corinthians. He says, and brethren, when I came to you, I did not come to you with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. You didn't need, you know, all the the ramifications of the world or any of those things that would be brought into this. He says, here's what I came to tell you. I determined to know nothing else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Hey, there's a weight of that, that we could kind of understand that is always the message. This is always where we're going. If preaching is preaching, I mean, in one sense, it's always about Jesus. It's always going to get us there. We're always going to land like, I need Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the answer, He's the cure, He's the Savior, He's my life, he's, he's, he's where it is. And so everything in Scripture points to Jesus, and so it's no surprise that it ought to be that way, that what we're looking for is that which would just can make Jesus the focus. Like, it is so meant to be that way, and there's so much I could say that way, that there, you know, would to God that it was always so. It's just not. Not all preaching is Christ-centered, uh, not all preaching goes that way, but in this foundational moment, we're just saying it should. Like that's what you know, the, the church is supposed to be doing because it is about Jesus. Well, he gives them this and tells them this, men of Israel, I want to tell you about this. He says, I want to, when you hear these words, verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you, by miracles, signs, uh, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Again, they lived there, so this is a whole kind of another way, but it's still this place of just saying, hey, God has made it known. God has attested to this. God has made this clear that Jesus is the one, miraculous wonders, all of these things begin to show who he is. And then he takes us to the cross. Him, verse 23, being delivered by determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. Boy, there's just a bunch there, but I just want to give you a couple quick things. So in one sense, he just highlights, hey, this is God's. This is God's sovereign work. Like Jesus went to the cross because God predetermined it because God is the one who delivered him by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. I mean, that's what he is. Some of you are reading through the book of Isaiah, and so you got to read in Isaiah 53 when it says, hey, it pleased God. It was his his pleasure. And not because it was because of what Christ would do. So you'd kind of say, well who put Jesus on the cross? And part of the answer is God did. God put him on the cross. God, God is the one who gave him to to die on the cross for our sins. At the same moment, he lets them fully fill their own responsibility. He says, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified him and put him to death. Again, that's one of those crazy moments because, yeah, that just happened. I mean, it just happened like two months before Peter's preaching this message. Uh, he, you know, he's able to say, like, you guys just did this. Like, you really did. You know, like, you guys actually were involved in that. And so there's a, a, a time element to those words. But without getting too technical, I'll just say, but there's also a truth to those words because our lawless hands put him on the cross. Um, you know, that, that sometimes people will say, so who put Jesus on the cross? Well, God did, and I did. You know, it was my hands. Uh, it, it, it's, it's my sin. Uh, it's my lawlessness that he had to die for, um, that, that that would be there. And I just want to tell you, there's wonder and weight there that would rescue from so many weird things Um, anti-Semitism, weird stuff where people like, who, you know, who is the one that really killed Jesus? It's like, God did and you did. That's how this works. Like you and I were a part of this, but Jesus died. He died on the cross. He came and, and gave his life for us, fulfilling everything that that is. But then he tells us in verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. I just like that. This is much there. It says, God, God raised him. It was not possible for him to stay there. It was not possible because he's God. I mean, he, he did. And so, I mean, you guys get this, right? I mean, there's a lot of really cool other nuggets in there, but we can just be really, really simple and say, Jesus Christ on the cross, his death and resurrection, that's our message. That, that's what we need. Everything centers in this. Everything is about this. Everything kind of flows into this moment. It's the changing moment of all history. It's that which we so desperately rally around. And so we get this incredible space where Peter, you know, just begins to say, Hey, guys, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you who he is and what he did. And so he comes back to it and takes us to another Bible reference, this time quoting out of Psalm uh, 16, verses 8 through 11. He says, For. David says concerning him, concerning Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life and you will make me full of joy. In your presence. So he takes us to this other passage and says, okay, so we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about what this is. And so having read this and saying it is about Jesus, uh, he begins to reason with them. And so I'm just going to put that as a separate point, but just notice it in verse 21, 29. It says, Men and brethren, let me speak to you freely. Or let let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. So pausing just for a moment before we dive into what he's going to do here. So he takes them to this passage that is going to, you know, give a biblical weight for the resurrection, but he just does it in a way that reasons with them. And so I'm just going to go back to it and just add it as another quick nugget. Hey, biblical preaching is meant to be that way. It is meant to be a reasonableness. Uh, And so many other things I could talk about had we the time where Paul would say, hey, I reason with them daily. That it's meant to be that, and and maybe again, that's like a no brainer to you. You're like, well, yeah. What is it else would it be? It'd be a weird thing if you could understand how often that's not what people are trying to do. Some of you know. I mean, for literally centuries, before the Protestant Reformation, uh, the Catholic Church had gotten into the place that the priest came up and gave his message in Latin. I mean, he preached it and read the scriptures, and he preached his message in Latin, which. Nobody understood except like the, the priests and like the elite there. So it's like you went to church and had like, I don't know, it's just kind of like, blah, 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 I don't know, they're just speaking, you know, I'm not meant to understand it, you know, and, and that's kind of how they were. It's like, well, you know, normal people can't understand this, only the, the, the elite religious people can. And so we're not actually trying to make it reasonable. We're not actually trying to make it understandable. But I want to tell you, that's, that's never the way it was meant to be. I mean, this is ground zero. It was meant, he says, hey, I want to speak to you freely. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's think about this, Peter says. Let's reason about this. Let's kind of, you know, engage your brain and my brain, and we want to think about what we're going to say. And I love that that's God's intention for you, that he's wanting you to think about it. He, he, that, that preaching is never meant to be you know, just over your head or just in a place that you have, that doesn't mean anything or land or just about an experience or any of those weird stuff. It's meant to be that. And I hope it is. I mean, it's definitely what we're aiming for. I mean, even as we're kind of walking through this this evening, we're like, I just want you to think about this with us. Like, hey, this is what this is. And and maybe you're tracking, maybe you're not, but we're aiming for it. Like we're aiming to be reasonable because that's what it should be. And would to God that it all was, but it isn't. Okay. Well, now let's go into the reason. Let's think about what he's going to do. And so he says, let's just talk about this for this moment. So we have this incredible, you know, verse given in Psalm 16. David's, you know, going to preach this. And he says, hey, you know, I'm going to see this. You're not going to let my soul, you know, go through the corruption. And so he says, let's think about this kind of you and I together. Verse 29, men and brethren, let me speak to you freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Uh, He says, okay, so um, that didn't happen for David. Like, you know, David did die, and he did see corruption. In fact, right there in Jerusalem is David's tomb. He's like, he's dead, and he's buried. He's with us to this day. So what he was saying here, it's not about David. He he wasn't giving this as, you know, hey, this is what's going to happen for me. He says, therefore, verse 30, being a prophet... And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Boy, again, there's lots of really, really cool notes in this, but let's just get it simply. He says, David was talking about Jesus. David wasn't talking about David. That passage about not leaving his soul in corruption, that's about Jesus. It was always centered in there. And it was a a prophetic message that God was working through David. And he says, that's why we have this. I mean, that this is what God was giving us. He saw this and he spoke concerning the resurrection, which is really, really cool. Just really, really cool. And it it just, like, of course, yeah, that makes sense. Because what didn't happen for David, yeah, that's exactly what happened for Jesus. He you know, he went to the grave, he was there for three days, and he rose. Like, he didn't stay in the grave. He didn't, you know, see corruption. And so it is about Jesus. Wow. Lots there. But let's keep going. This in verse 32, he says, This Jesus, God is raised up, which we are all witnesses. So he's telling us, Hey, Jesus is risen. It's biblical. <laughs> I mean, we see it in Psalm 8, you know, 16. And we are witnesses, like we are proof positive, like we saw it. Like we're to claim, to claiming to you not just a story, but what we ourselves know. And he lets us know, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He, that is Jesus, poured out on out this which you now see and hear. So he's highlighting this incredible weight that everything flows through the death and resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus has done it, that he's the one that, that it is this, it's biblical, that, that Peter's able to say, hey, I'm there, we as the, the apostles here, Paul would go on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, there's like 500 of us who were eyewitnesses uh, of Jesus being raised, so he says, hey, we have valid, solid, you know, hey, this is true, but everything we have right now, and so again, he, he takes us back to the original question, the original question was, okay, the Holy Spirit just poured out, and it's what in the world just happened? What is this rushing mighty wind that filled you know, the space and these people speaking and, and 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 what in the world is happening? And he's saying, Jesus did this. This is what Jesus said he would do. He said, You know, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna leave. And he says, When I go, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. And he you know, would reason with us when Jesus was talking in the Gospel of John. He says, it's really good that I go away. Like, you want me to go away because if I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to do this incredible work. And so Peter is just connecting it back. So he's saying, all that we're talking about today, everything that is the church, everything that we are, it's because of Christ. It's because of what he did for us. Uh, his death and resurrection, and everything we have now flows in and from that reality, which again finds itself incredibly, incredibly good. So he takes us now to our third uh, biblical reference, and he just says it this way, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So he quotes here out of Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen, this incredible Kind of messianic prophetic verse, which is again really profound. And uh, again, it's one of those spaces that we could probably spend the rest of the evening on it, but I'm not going to. But just highlight Jesus highlighted this one uh, when they were asking questions of Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were asking him tartar questions. He says, I want to ask you a question. So, how can the Lord talk to the Lord? You know, how, who is this one that, that you know, how, how can he be the son of David and yet also be the Lord? And they, they had no answer. But of course, the answer is Jesus. So, I mean, this is one of these verses that unpack this incredible space that, that he's the Lord, that the Lord can say to, to the Lord that, that it is this, and yet it kind of carries this weight all the way until the enemies are on the footstool, all the way until, you know, every knee bows before Christ. Um, every knee t- confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, I'm going to do this till all of them come. And see this. And so there's this incredible just space where he's telling us not only is it begun in Jesus, not only is it Jesus's death and resurrection, but that is where everything is going. That's where everything is. And so he lays that weight. And then he kind of begins to land his message here in verse 36, where he says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Wow, boy, I, I'm just wanting to say that better, and I don't know how to, to really do it. But he just says, "Hey, you, see, you need to understand this. Jesus is everything. He's the Lord, and He's the Messiah." He's the Christ, he's the, the answer of, uh, to all the world's problems, it is Jesus. That, that what we're proclaiming to you is that, what we're proclaiming to you is the weight and wonder of this, and so that's what he's presenting. I mean, he just says, I just, therefore, here's, where we're, here's the message, here's what we're proclaiming, it's Jesus, that he is the Lord, that he is the Christ, that he is the hope and the only hope of all the world. May God cause you to know that and understand how much we need that, that He is the answer that we need. One of the interesting things, though, as we're watching all this play out, is it tells us next, it says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So I want to highlight this, that there's this conviction, uh, there's this conviction that this happens upon them, and, and they're going to ask this question, what shall we do? Before we quickly talk about that, let's go back and give you one more. So I gave you, I've given you four things that are kind of this picture of what biblical preaching would be from the Acts 2. It's primary, it's biblical, it's Christ-centered, it's reasonable, But it's also, in this sense, convicting preaching. Now, let me be kind of clear when I use that term, what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. So when the Bible talks about conviction, like real conviction, uh, that's God's work. That conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. That Jesus said he was going to send the Spirit and he would convict men. Uh, of sin and righteousness and judgment. Like biblical conviction comes about by God himself doing this. And so it's the Holy Spirit that convicts people, that draws them and causes them to both understand and feel their need and be drawn to God in an incredible way. The contrast is that preaching is not meant to be manipulative. I would say this very, very singularly and and more powerfully than I have time to just unpack for you. One of the things I just want you to understand is how this just ended. I mean, he just preached this message. He says, it's all about Jesus. He is the, he is the, he is the Lord and the Christ. And that's it. I mean, that's, that was the, that's kind of the end of the sermon. That was kind of what he proclaimed. And there's a wonder to that, that that's what God is looking for. Paul would say it this way in Corinthians, he says, in my speech and my preaching, were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We live in an odd day, an odd day in church history. It has not always been this way. Um, that's probably important for you to understand. But it's become much, much more common in the day that you and I live in that preaching sometimes is very manipulative, Uh, that instead of just reasoning with us and and leaving it for the conviction of the Holy Spirit, um, crowd tactics, um, things that the world uses in in manipulating people, uh, emotional manipulation, have become so much a part of some preaching that it's almost become like, hey, that's not preaching if you don't do it that way. That there's this weight that people find themselves manipulating, and I just, again, in things that I don't have time to unpack, I should say, that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not meant to be that way. Again, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been in one of those church services that the pastor gets to the end, and then you kind of get to this, you know, never-ending close You know, where he's like, hey, we're going to keep waiting. You know, there's one more person. you got to raise your hands. You know, we're going to stay here, and and you kind of get this. We're going to play songs. We're going to get everybody into this kind of emotional motive thing where you're going to, you know, finally raise your hand and give your life to Jesus. I mean, I just want to tell you, that's not what Peter does. And there's something manipulative about that. The world does it all the time. It works in politics. Uh, it works in crowds. You can you can you can build people up through an emotional thing and can, can can carry a crowd in ways that is entirely manipulative. And that's not what preaching is. Preaching is not meant to be that. It is meant to be this place where what we want is the Holy Spirit now to okay let the Holy Spirit convict you and. and and move in that weight so that it would be leaving that to the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, I hold this as a model, and I just want to tell you, I don't have any, you know, arrogant space to think that I'm doing it perfectly well. I'm sure I'm not, but I I want it, but I, I just want you to understand that's why we do it that way. I mean, we don't really get to the end of the service and try to work you up into an emotional fervor and then have you stand or, you know, kind of raise your hand and, you know, and then, hey, you're going to come up and you're going to say these. I mean, I, I, they're just, it wasn't done that way. I mean, Jesus never did it that way. I mean, uh, you know, he's, oh, yeah, I'm going I'm I'm to stop on this like rabbit trail in just a second. But I mean, there are things that some people are like, hey, that's the only way you like, hey, you know, we're going to, every head, you know, eye closed, every head bowed, we're going to play a song. And, and you kind of get this weird space. But it's when you, I, just, I have this funny, like, silly imagination. I can imagine, like, the apostles doing that. Yeah, why, is playing the music, and every eye, no, it just, it never was that way. It was never kind of a manipulative, you know, emotional uh, pull that all of a sudden you find yourself responding, and you have no idea why. No, it was always, like, it was meant to be, hey, what's the Holy Spirit doing? Hey, we're going to leave you now to Him. We've, we've given you truth, and we're going to let him draw you. We're going to let him convict you. And so that's what they do. Uh, they do this. And, and so now, you know, here's the crowd and they're responding and they, they come up to Peter and um, they said to Peter and to the rest. So it's not just like this crowd thing. Like, okay, it's almost like the service breaks up. And, you know, they're coming up and asking one-on-one, like, what do we do with that? Like, boy, that destroyed me. I mean that just cut me to the heart. I mean I I I'm, I'm undone right now. I mean that I'm I'm I I feel the weight of what this is, and I need some help. I I need some help in what this is, and so Peter then begins to preach to them one more time, and he said to them, verse thirty-eight, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So he calls them to conversion. He says, hey, you guys need to be saved. Like, you, you, you desperately need to be saved, and goes on to tell us in the next couple of verses, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved, from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his words were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So incredible, just beginning to the church, incredible weight that's there. But let's come back just very quickly and talk, just try to unpack very briefly. So what did he tell them to do? They're saying, well, what, what is it we need to do how do we respond to this? What, what's in there for us? Well, he tells them a few things that I would just quickly hold out to you uh, that are important for us to understand. It begins with repent. They said, what do we need to do? How do we respond to you? He says, Peter said to him in verse 38, repent. Um, turning to Jesus always includes repentance. Real turning to Jesus is not found any other way. Jesus started it. He, he began to preach the kingdom of God, and he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Understand this, that conversion and being saved, it is always a call to, to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus. It is, it, there, there's no such thing as a conversion without repentance, biblically, and, and, and so it's just important that we understand, hey, it begins there. Hey, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sins and turn to Jesus repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. It says you absolutely need to be baptized. Okay. Wow. Like this is one we could spend an hour on, right? And, and, and and try to make sense of it. Let's, I I think probably for most of you here this evening, you're not confused over this, at least in principle form. I mean, we don't really believe that it's a physical act that's going to save them that he was saying that what we'd call baptismal regeneration, that you have to be physically baptized to be saved. I don't believe that's what he's communicating. In fact, baptism wasn't understood that way. In fact, it is so much more profound. Now, it might sound like by using this term that we're obscuring the reality of what God is doing, I just wanna say it's more profound than that. There's no good, easy way to communicate everything that we're saying, but let's just think through baptism for a quick moment. So, baptism is this place where they would understand it that if someone's going to come and and declare their faith, it's a personal decision. I mean, nobody gets baptized but the person who's getting baptized. Like, this isn't a group decision we're making right now. This is so baptism by its nature is communicating something that you yourself need to do. And baptism pictures this place of entering into Jesus' death and resurrection. So Paul would unpack it in details in Romans 6 says, says, okay, when we're baptized, we're baptized into Jesus' death and and into his resurrection, we have life. So baptism by its nature is communicating, not only is it personal, but it's my connection to Christ. Like his death and his resurrection on my behalf is now my salvation. So that it's this beautiful connection that I am in him that to fully be that is that. That it's this place of saying that now because of this, you know, because my, I was dead to my sin, I'm now alive in Christ, baptism pictures, if we can say it this way, a very true and real salvation. And so again, just trying to make something complicated as simple as I can. Baptism saves nobody. I mean, Paul would talk about it later and we'd see it through the rest of the scripture. Um, it's very possible for somebody to get physically baptized and still be unsaved. It's very possible, because like if you just got wet, it doesn't do anything. Then there are probably some people, through either their ignorance or rebellion or whatever it is, didn't get physically baptized, but they are baptized into Christ. They're saved. I mean, because they they, they believed upon Jesus. They're saved. It's just death and resurrection that is life to them, and, and, and they're in the midst of it. Yes, we should still be baptized, but baptism is that place of declaring, hey, this is real. Like that actually happened in my life, and it just shows incredible weight. And again, I, I'm just trying to say it one more time. It might sound like, why didn't you say that? Why, why'd you make it so complicated? Because it is that complicated. It, it's not just a simple thing. I mean, some of are were like, well, just believe and you're saved. Well, it's like, yes, believe and be baptized, like, be immersed into Christ connect into his death and resurrection, die to your sin and come alive in Christ, be born again. Yeah, all of that is the weights and the wonders of what it is, but it's what Jesus is offering to us. It's what Jesus is offering to us. And so he just adds to it. He said, or just continues it. He says, and if you'll do that, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Like that's what started at Pentecost. Like that's what happened. The Spirit of God enters into all of his people. This promise is to you, And to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Like, hey, this is for all of us. Like he can do this. Like he can absolutely do this. That's what he does. That's what he does. And so I I love that he unpacks that. And then he just it just tells him with many other words. He was just telling him, You like really need to be saved. You like really need to be saved. So I would be absolutely failing if I didn't just say, I don't know if that's you. I mean, if you're here this, this evening and you have not yet entered into Christ, like you're a church person, but you haven't, you're haven't, you personally connecting into the death and resurrection of Christ, being brought into to the work of the Spirit, that's not happened for you. Then what's just pleading with you, hey, this is a really broken world. You need to be saved from this perverse generation. It's getting bad, and, and, and your hope of Christ is absolutely laid into this moment, and so we plead to you for that. Well, bunches more there. I hope that God has taken that deeper than where I've been, but let me kind of transition because we're gonna take time and we're gonna take communion here this evening. It's actually March 1st, and I know that some of you like, wait a second. I thought we did communion on the last Wednesday of the month. We do. February is so weird. Like 28 days, what do you do with that? It kind of messes up everything on top of it. We kind of focused on revival last week. And so we mentioned last week that we were gonna end taking uh, communion and we're gonna do so. Before we go there, I just want you to pause and think about this because there actually is this connection that I want by God's grace uh, to kind of make. So we're thinking about salvation and we're thinking about salvation through the lens of baptism. And then we're gonna talk about communion and we think about uh, the beauty and, and the wonder that's there and both of these are this picture of connecting to Christ. Neither one are um, redemptive in and of themselves. So baptism is something that you do when you get saved. And it's, it's this declaration that Jesus' death and resurrection is my life. And it's because he died on the cross and because he rose and I'm entering into that, I'm saved. Uh, again, it's this connection that you declare through baptism, communion, is something that we continue to do as believers, but we're still celebrating the same thing, his death and resurrection. Like, Jesus died. Like, we were broken. We had no hope. Jesus came and died and, 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 and walked through that. And so somehow, even just kind of comparing these two and understanding um, these practices that Jesus gave us and understanding, but the point was, they were pointing to the reality. The reality of really being saved and then celebrating that he is that for us, that he is the one that's brought us into that. So I don't know if that even makes the sense that I want it to make, but that's where I want to invite you tonight, that it's not just a going through the motions, but it is a place of saying, yeah. We're celebrating Christ. We're celebrating the, the church. We're celebrating Jesus, that that he is the, the message, that he died and he rose, and that's my life, that's my help, that's my, my whole, that he is the Lord, and he is the Christ, and into the wonder of all that is. So here's how we're gonna do this. You guys know on Wednesday night when we take communion, we do it just a tiny bit different. So we're not passing it out. Instead, I'm gonna pray and ask God to prepare us for that. Then the worship team is gonna lead us in two closing songs. Uh, in the midst of these closing songs, we're just going to invite you to come up and take communion. Um, so you have two songs. you don't have to do it right away. You can do it the first song. You can do it the second song. Uh, come up and take it. There's two cups stacked together, bread in the bottom, juice in the, in the top. And you can take communion wherever you want. Uh, you can take communion up here. Uh, you can kneel up here. You can go back to your chair. You can stand. I mean, however you want it, just between you and the Lord saying, God, I, I, this is mine. Like Christ is mine because of what he's done. And and so we're just gonna invite you to take communion. Uh, If you take the cups back to your chairs, there's this little square little cup holder in the chair in front of you, just drop it in that. That way you don't have to sit there and go, what do I do with this now? Uh, And we'll pick it up later. But then you can just continue worshiping with us because that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna just worship for a couple of songs, but somehow in the midst of that, just inviting you to make that both personal and real. So with that as an invitation, let me ask God to draw us into that. And again, just for you, invite you to take communion. Make Jesus the focus. Again, the communion will be up here, uh, over there, and up here. Or, yeah, somewhere over here. Yeah, you'll find it. It'll be up here. And, and, and so they'll be up here, and, that, and then you can come take communion, and this let that meet you where God is going to meet you tonight. God, we thank you that it really is all about Jesus, that you're our life, that you're our hope, that Jesus, you came in the sovereign, perfect plan of God, but our sin, our hands, our lawless hands, you died on the cross for us, paid the full price for our sin, rose from the grave so that now in you, that's ours. God, I would ask for any here this evening that don't know you, that they would come to that beginning space, that they would repent of their sins and they would believe and be baptized into Christ and and be saved Be saved even here this evening. You said, as many who call upon you, you would save. That's the generation we're living in. I cry out for that right now. Draw these that don't know you to you. And many of us do. And yet we get reminded that it is all about Christ and that somehow we get back to that focus. We thank you for communion that draws us to that space of remembering. Would you help us to do that? Remember you now in a a real and connecting way to that end, just anything that's holding us back, just sin that needs to be washed, would you cleanse us right now? Would you help everything to be laid down and draw us into this space of remembering you? We ask for that now in Jesus' name. Amen.